Welcome to Tea with the Changemakers. This week, we welcome Simon Akers from Archman, a marketing agency actively embracing neurodiversity, equality and diversity and inclusion, and promoting social mobility. Simon is chatting to us today about how he's helping to change the creative industry for his work with organisations such as the Brixton Finishing School and Common People. So, uh, Simon, welcome. Hi, thank you for that brilliant intro. I probably didn't do you as much justice. No, so. I think you did. I think you did a better job than I would, definitely. So, Simon, you have a long uh, track record in working in big marketing agencies, mainly down in London, and you decided to set up your own agency. What makes your agency different to all the other agencies that are out there? When I set up Archman, I wanted to work with clients who grow the right way and do the right thing, and I can talk about the client work, mm. but I wanted to devote and I've been relatively true to this. It's all about the intention, right? Sometimes it doesn't work out because things happen. But I said to myself, if I can devote 10% of my time a week, i.e. half a day a week, to mm. voluntary causes, something just beyond billing money, mm. I'll actually be doing something good. And I've had this kind of yearning in me to not only do things my way and help the business and clients, but actually help people not have to go through and feel that kind of not fitting inness that I felt before as well. Mm, we've had quite a few conversations about this, haven't we? We've got some sort of shared uh, experiences in this area. And, uh, you know, you feel very passionately about social mobility, as I do. Um, but you've um, taken that to another level by working with the Brixton Finishing School. So tell us a little bit about Brixton Finishing School. So Brixton Finishing School was interesting because they're all about mobilizing access and education to people in the creative industries and creative agencies and people from you know challenging socioeconomic backgrounds and they facilitated a number of courses such as uh, the ad academy for 18 to 24 year olds they do adventure which is a suite of people who will go into schools actually went to one here in lincoln uh, one of the academies and talked about the opportunities in advertising and they've done something for uh, women over 45 as well which is an oftentimes um, underutilized talent pool as well so they have that and recently i've been working with common people who are just hoping to get enable more people in working class backgrounds to get into the creative industries so yeah. that's like people from you know there isn't always people who they can't afford to get a train down from chesterfield to st pancras or whatever and you know they need to get to an interview so how do they do it so try to raise funds through things like ever ever press merchandise to enable them to you know attend interviews and you know i'm, I'm not one of the core four i'm just kind of an ad hoc bi-weekly kind of advisor chap but mm. what we are going to do in the new year we're going to have an event i think at picture house and we're going to try and get people there a bit of a social so i think it's really good that there is some impetus there that people can get behind to you know help people get a seat at the table mm -hmm. and i've always said like you know how can you market to everyone if you yourselves aren't everyone you know the old days of the old you know <laughs> the middle-aged white men in the boardroom deciding everyone's life it's just so it's just crap, isn't it? So. Mm. And why do you care about social mobility in particular people from working class backgrounds getting good opportunities in the creative oh, industries? I guess. I mean, it's not. I, I've seen. I felt it myself, and I've seen it from people who've worked with me. The, it's the microaggressions, right? It's the kind of the you know I'm a lad who grew up. You know, my family. You know the. the we're just, I think, a normal family, probably a working class family. You know, my mum was a 
teaching assistant. My dad was a psychiatric nurse. I grew up in Newark, Nottinghamshire. And after time at Bath and I, you know, got a mediocre degree and uh, <laughs> and after, you know, A-levels underachieving because, you know, I was never in concentration and attendance to lectures wasn't always my forte, but the ability to get signed in on the register was. And that's a, again, that's another thing, but I kind of found my passion through my career. And what I realized is that I got into these big London agencies and I had some big seats at big tables around the world. And I was looking around the room and I was surrounded by people who, you know, they went to Harvard and Stanford and IE Business School. And there's like me from Bath Spa University. And I'm just like, this is crazy. And you overhear conversations in these agencies of like, oh, did you, oh, did you go to that Soho house thing at the weekend? Or, oh God, I had the best skiing trip. And they're the sort of things that kind of make you feel like you're a bit of an imposter and you don't quite fit in, even though mm. you have a seat at that table. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Well, uh, I, I come from the si a similar background. And so yeah. for me, I'm really passionate about social mobility and making sure that everybody has the right opportunities. But even when you get there and you work really blooming hard for it and you get there, you find yourself in a room still with people that you don't feel a part of your community or don't even make you feel part of that is that is that is that what you experienced yeah for a while? yeah and we talk about this like you know i got into a shed load of debt living in london because it'd be like you go to these bougie places in mm. soho with clients or with your colleagues and they've all got under probably some of them are you know they're on low salaries right they're account managers and account execs but they're living in a an amazing farrington warehouse with mummy and daddy's money right <laughs> and and it's like they're like spanking like 80 quid on around and I'm like oh god let me just quickly I'm there at the bar moving money between accounts so I can show that I can afford to round for people uh. and like and I remember thinking wow like this is my word I'm not, I'm, 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 I'm winging it here you know I'm doing a good job but I went through that and luckily I was able to, you know, do good work and, you know, get some, I guess, commercial respect. Well, I hope anyway, and um, do some good work and get a seat at the table. But I know how hard it is. And, you know, I, I'm, I've got certain skills to do that. But I, I, I sort of felt like I winged it for a while. So God is what it's like for people coming through now who have to go through that. And I just don't want that anymore. Mm. I just want everyone to come in. I just love... I just love to see, go into an agency that I consult with in five years' time and walk in the room and see people in a room with post-it notes and they're writing about their, I don't know, um, childhood experiences of their favourite adverts when they were growing up in Liverpool or Western Supermare or whatever. I don't want to see, you know, Oxford and Cambridge people in red trousers making decisions every day. I don't want to see it anymore. Mm -hmm. And, and, and it, I, I find that interesting and fascinating, I think probably because of my own experience yeah. as well. But yeah. do you think that, you know, to a certain extent, what we try to do is go in and fit in because if you don't fit in, then you're literally out the door. And actually what we need to embrace is this diversity of all people from all walks of life and backgrounds and appreciating that diversity rather than coming in the door and trying to fit in with the ideals that seem to exist, which are pretty prehistoric. I mean, there's a right? couple of things at play here, right? Like, first of all, if you're not overly confident, you're starting a new job. You're starting it and you're thinking, oh, I need to, you know, get everyone on the side, fit in. They need to be able to trust me. I need to show I can do, if they give me a deadline, I can actually deliver the work and not be terribly terrible at it. So that's always the first objective. Mm. So, you know, you don't go in to think, right, I need to create systemic change on the class divide division. Mm. You go in as a kind of, a, I need to fit in. And sometimes that means that, you know, you're, you know, moving money between accounts at the bar, you know, to do that. But I like to think that because I've been out the other side of that, I like to think that, if I can be part of any enterprises that can affect that to stop 
young me's coming through, God help them, <laughs> in the future having to go through that, then that for me is a success. But the other thing as well, companies in fairness are starting to address this chief diversity and inclusion officers, DEI policies, and a lot of ESG frameworks are ensuring that this is happening. But I think I'm also cynical about some of it being lip service as well. So yeah. I, I'm still, yeah, I'm still quite, I guess, I'm not a cynical person, I'm skeptical. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I am skeptical how realistic a lot of this sort of, not greenwashing, but kind of diversity washing people do. Mm. And, you know, you know, it's like, you know, International Women's Day, let's get the three girls from the office on the stage or, you know, Mental Health Day, let's give everyone a smoothie or, mm. you know, it's Black History Month, you know, like things like that. And, and it's just, there's all these, these, these things that people do and I want to see it all year round. I want to see it the other 364 days of the year. And that's my big thing that I'd love to see change. Mm. And yeah. so this is what you're trying to champion either through your work or the pe the people that you work with in terms of clients and yeah. organisations you're involved in is trying to really yeah. promote this 365. Yeah. So with Archman, what I do, my business model, it's actually, it might be, this might be quite useful actually. My business model is about doing planning and strategy for clients. I go into a client's business. They may not have an agency. They may not have a CMO. So I would go in and do sort of some fractional marketing work for them, leadership, projects, planning, whatever. Then I bring in, you know, merry men and women to bring the plan to life, right? So some of them, you know, they are, you know, neurodiverse. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I want to embrace that sort of you know, I hate the word superpower for anyone in a sort of a neurodiverse position. It's, I think it's slightly reductive, but people, there is so much quality out there, regardless of their, their, their brain composition, their socioeconomic background that can do so much good work. And they're smart people who got disillusioned with the agency model. They've just gone out on their own. Not, and I want Archman to tap into that. The, the business models of the past do just think about profit predominantly, but now we do have to think more about people and our planet. So it's people, planet, profit, which is the B Corp yeah. model, yeah, which correct. everyone knows we're a B Corp and lots more companies we're all trying to get. And congratulations on that, by the way, Kelly. That's the <laughs> first one in Lincoln, yeah? Yeah, yeah. But, but just it's about moving people towards kind of thinking about people yeah. and planet as well yeah. as profit. Um, just going back to marketing, you're, you're a marketing guy. You're an advertising marketing guy. For um, my sins, yeah. <laughs> um, do you think there's a lot of cynicism out there around some of the uh, marketing tactics, tools or even... 100%. Products? Yes. What, what does someone do listening that, you know, can... I guess they might not think they're greenwashing, but they are. I think there's a big bandwagon jump. People are jumping on the bandwagon, you know. I've written about this as well. You know, like, you know, when you got like banks, you got like a horse running on a beach, and it's like we're by your side. It's like, are you by your side, or do you just want to charge increased interest rates? You know, I think people are getting increasingly cynical about vapid communication, mm. and I think a lot of people have jumped on the purpose bandwagon because it's very, it's not skin deep, right? The best marketeers know that marketing is the four P's: product, place, price, promotion. Right? If you only have purpose in your promotion part i.e. The, the you know the tip of the iceberg the bit that people see people scratch beneath that surface and it's, it's only skin deep right mm. if you're like this you know horrendous profit making polluting business and all of a sudden you put a bloody wind farm and kids jumping through a meadow on the advert people see straight through it but if your product to the core is genuinely helping people you know i think people can see that mm. so i think true marketing will deliver better um, you know, I, I guess uh, authenticity 
and uh, a credence with the customer if the whole cycle of the product, the place, the price and the promotion is is consistent and aligned as opposed to it being a dirty little, let's swap out the Facebook creative tomorrow because that's the bandwagon. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. It's got to be steeped in it, isn't it? 100%. Core. Yeah. The whole thing, like you can't make it up. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like Philip Morris the other day, they're getting slated because they're talking about vaping. We want to get a smoke-free world and there's all this cynicism around that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you've got like big oil companies, you know, talking to, to, with these big corporate social responsibility, flashy websites. And it's like, you've invested in that, but... Yeah, twenty grand site costs nothing compared to the amount you're making off oil. You know, so mm. I think people are starting to look at that. And when you buy a product, you have a perception of it, don't you? Mm. Whether it's a you've got a five second mental availability in the supermarket, or you're spending six months buying a car, right? Mm. We are making dis- conscious decisions all the time, and you've got to be wary of everything from the product you're selling to the mm. way it's communicated. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I find that a hugely fascinating topic and uh, I think people can see below the surface, as you say. I think you can't, we, we live in an increasingly transparent world now where, you know, you, you, you can't get away with anything. So why even try to convince people to do anything other than what you are? In a social media world, like uh, people people hate Ryanair, for example. Mm. I love Ryanair. Mm. And actually, that's a lie. I don't love them. I don't love flying with them. In fact, I think they're an awful airline and I'm a BA man, right? But... <laughs> But I, I don't can't, think he's getting any freebies. But I can't. I can't. They don't. Well, they don't give anyone any. That's no. why. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from oxygen. But but no. The things with with Ryanair, they know what they are. They know they are just a money making delivery. We're going to get you from A to B. It's going to be a rocky ride. It's an uncomfortable seat. You're going to be stood on the tarmac. It stands dead, freezing because it's priority boarding. It's not going to be a good experience. But we don't care because we know we people are going to keep coming back, right? And why? Because the prices. Yeah, yeah. But the point about Ryanair that I actually weirdly admire, I follow them on Twitter and I actually enjoy them. And I know it's kind of macabre saying this because they're not the nicest brand, but they are what they are. They don't pretend to be anything they're not. You know, Mm. they know they are just a price-driven airline and they will always be in business because there will always be people despite, you know, if you ask someone in a focus group, Right, this is the challenge of market research. Folks, would you fly them? Oh no, terrible service. Those same people see those flights for nine quid. They're bloody booking it, right? Mm -hmm. So they're always going to have that market, despite virtue signalling, right? Yeah. Now I've got respect for that because they know what they are, and it's sort of like some of the big consultancy firms. They don't talk about mental health and well-being because they know that their staff are absolutely, you know, burning their staff like seven days a week. Mm. And I'm not saying I admire that behaviour because I don't, and it's terrible for their staff, but. They're not trying to be anyone they're not. And I've, I mm. think people have got more respect for people who know what they are. Do you see yes. what I mean? And yeah. And you, you, you can make a real conscious choice about yeah. where you spend your money, can't you? Because you know, you know who they are, what they do. Yeah. But when people are trying to, or brands are trying to greenwash and say that they're something that they're not, that's actually more damaging. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah, I would. I, I do. And transparency right we're in a creator economy there's things like reddit where you can't you can't blag you've got aficionados by sector who are talking about things right you can't get past it it's a social media world if you balls up your customer service which by the way is marketing because it's Mm. a touch point of your business and your brand if you balls that up it's out there Mm. and you've got to rectify that and then if you know you hear about these brand social media accounts getting you know, some bot replies or someone, some junior gets hold of the company handle and they screw it up for them. And then there's a PR disaster. You know, it's out there. Mm. Centre parks, the thing when the Your Majesty passed away, obviously they wanted to honour the funeral, but then they were creating this sort of like weird 
<laughs> squid game-esque don't leave your lodge thing. <laughs> they really mess that up. So, yeah. you know, the world is out there. The world is listening. So you can't get away with nonsense anymore. What's interesting, actually, and just tap into your, your mind around this, because we all know that going forwards, in order to be more sustainable, we actually need to buy less shit, basically. Yeah. We need to buy less. We need to stop consuming yeah. as much. Now, as a marketeer working with brands and obviously they need to sell more, so to speak. What's the sort of conversations that you're having? Because you can't be an authentic brand on a sustainability mission at the same time as trying to sell more stuff. Yes and no. I worked with a wine brand and they were selling boxes of wine and they were ensuring that all their packaging and their fulfillment was sustainable and recyclable. So there's that. So look, there's no point pretending that everything you do is going to be totally, you know, net zero. It's very unlikely. I mean, there's a lot of ways that companies want to get towards that net zero, but they can't. But I think there's certain things you can do in the supply chain, the way you work and the way you, you know, you, you, your server, where you host your servers, your aircon. There's a number of things you can do as a company which help the overall, I guess, say carbon footprint, if that was one of the examples. Okay, so we can all do something to help the planet. And uh, we are big advocates of doing something, no matter how big or small the business. But what can brands do to help people, especially in the, uh, you know, the area of equality and diversity, which is something that we are both passionate about? Can you give an examples of maybe where it's been done well? Like I loved Booking.com. They did something really cool a couple of months ago um, for the LGBTQ plus community. They actually did a cert. They created, they productized a cert option for sort of safe travel so people from different communities and you know and genders and sexualities could travel safely so mm. they would recommend hotels based on other people's reviews and where it was a safe inclusive place to be mm. and for me that is the essence of good like product marketing as well which i think is really cool yeah absolutely and then obviously those communities are going to be you know they're going to feel much safer with that brand aren't they yeah they're gonna yeah feel, yeah yeah that's and it's a, that confidence it's not like you know another one's gonna be like oh they're just trying to flog me but actually they've they're literally doing the same thing they've not reinvented the wheel they've just created another search engine with a few filters really that's yeah. what that's the definition of value they probably probably took them a couple uh, i don't know a couple of days dev work on there and they've got a new pivot and an opportunity to actually unlock and, and, and build trust over time with an audience that often feel unaddressed and i think that's that's incredible yeah, I, I, that, I think that's a great example, actually, yeah. of how you're kind of appealing to the wants and needs of different people. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that is a real thing that, you know, it can be quite dangerous for people from the LGBTQ plus community to travel to different parts of the world. And even within our own country, if you're booking a hotel or a B&B, &B, you think those kind of prejudices don't exist still. Um, yeah. They absolutely do. I, I bet do. they do. I mean, I can't comment on, on that, um, the UK and that the state of it. It's not just governments and charities in the third sector that can bring about the because the people with the biggest resources are oh, the businesses, businesses 100%. and brands. So it needs their resources and their time and effort as well. So I really wanted to talk about your passion for neurodiversity and why you think it's really important in the workplace. And what can people listening, maybe their employers, line managers and so on, how can they embrace neurodiversity in the workplace? This sounds like a massive cliche, but I think you have to have an open mind on the skills. I think there's a lot of reductive chat out there about, oh, someone autistic, um, they might not, you know, they have typical social skills, so, but they might be really good developers. I think that's just such 
BS and I hate it because different people have different personality types, right? You might have someone who's got ADHD um, and just for full candor, I'm halfway through um, getting you know, getting referred for potential ADHD. So I can I can say this, but not everyone's as chatty as me. You've got people who've got ADHD who might be introverted. You've got people who are autistic who might be extroverted. You've got people with bipolar who, you know, don't show any kind of symptom in the workplace at all. There needs to be a less reductive, because people are very quick to assume, aren't they? They make an assumption, you know, um, it's just lazy. People make assumptions all the time. It's, 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 it's what's the word? Unconscious bias. Mm. That's the word. Sorry. Mm. Whether you what, whether your gender is, your race, your, your sexuality, your, your, your typical background, your working class, your whatever. People make assumptions. Like the working class, some of the most smart people I've ever worked with, you know, they've, you know, they've come from humble backgrounds. Mm. Uh, and some of the biggest idiots haven't, by the way. And, but, but actually, you know, people from different diverse backgrounds, they, they do not fit in a, they've spent their life not fitting in a square peg in a square hole. So don't try and do it in the workplace either. Mm. Think about what they're good at and what they want, what's going to work for them and take them, take time to understand their condition. I think it's important for the person with the condition to fully disclose and be open with their line management and boss and colleagues about the way they want to work. So, you know, for true inclusivity, they need two way. It's mm. down to the person um, with the condition to share how they want to work. And it's also down to the people to help them as well. And look, no, not everything's perfect. People are always going to, there's always going to be attrition. This is like, this is humanity and this is workplaces. And mm. as long as there's been time, there's been tension. But if we can make things slightly easier for everyone, better. But I would say from a leadership and an interview and a management point of view, don't be so quick to assume that a certain type of person fits into a certain type of role. Because I bet you any money, they can all do a hell of a lot more than you think. Mm. So let's cut out some of this nonsense about superpowers and they're good for this and good for that. That's that's what I honestly think. Mm. So we need to stop typecasting I and stereotyping. I, I think, again, I think... You know, this unconscious bias thing, you hear about people, you know, anonymizing CVs and names and education and date of birth, ageism and no, I don't even start me off on that as well. I mean, I'm 39 and I feel like a veteran in advertising, you know, <laughs> but um, it, yeah, th that's another example. And I, I'd interested to see if, if people met someone and they didn't know about their underlying condition and they just looked at their CV and then met them or they presented to them on Zoom, would they know? I'd say 80% of the time they probably would not. So... Mm. Again, that's proof that you don't need to... Do you need to know? I mean, does does anybody need to know? Look, it's like that anything. Yeah, that's an interesting thing, right? You know, the prefer not to say box when you, you join mm. somewhere. I personally think it's important to share and to know, but such as the nature of neurodiversity, everyone's different and it's not everyone's prerogative to share either. Mm. My only concern is those who don't share may may make things hard Harder for themselves, but left, left behind because they've not been. People don't understand, and the more people who know about the reality, is the better. And also, by not saying anything, it reinforces the taboo. Yeah. I remember when I first opened up about my mental health, by the way, in 2018, about my anxiety and depression and some very dark thoughts I had. By the way, I I got a load of messages of people inboxes. I'm talking about senior people, CEOs, CMOs, head of global marketings, you know, big dogs, you know. They were inboxing me saying, Simon, great message. Really resonate with that. I've been through the same thing. Keep it up. You're brave. You're brave. I'm like, brave? What have I done? Have I done something stupid here? And the point is, they didn't, they didn't respond publicly. Right? I was thinking, well, if it's not a taboo yet, 
they would just message me openly. Then I thought, actually, to be fair, not everyone wants to open up about it. But, but I did think there was quite a mm. theme there. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes, it yes. still felt like a bit of a taboo. I think mental health's a lot more in the vernacular now, and it's almost like um, it's much more common to talk about, which I suppose is a good thing. But obviously the unintended consequence of that is people are jumping on it and virtue signaling. That's a whole other conversation. Mm. But it's interesting to think that people think that they can't say stuff. Now, going back to the neurodiversity in the workplace, to keep it under wraps is probably reinforcing the fact that it's unacceptable and it's a taboo. Mm. And it's not. Mm. Everyone has a seat at that table, mm. you know? And I think if people can feel, if people have been given the environment to enable them to feel like they can talk about it, that is a win-win for everyone, I think. I agree. I think it definitely is a win-win. Thank you so much, Simon, for joining us on this week's episode of Tea with the Changemakers. I really enjoyed that episode and I think it's given us a lot of food for thought.